Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Athena Dixon, a co-host of the New Books and Poetry podcast via the New Books Network. Today, we are speaking with Danielle Rose. Danielle Rose is the author of At First and Then, available now from Black Lawrence Press, and The History of Mountains, forthcoming from Variant Lit. Her work can be found in Palette Poetry, Hobart, and Sundog Lit. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Athena. Thank you. So one of my favorite places to start conversations with writers is how they came to their respective genres and how they came to the page. So would you mind giving us a brief history of your writing journey, kind of like when it started and how it morphed over the years? Oh, this is uh, anything but brief. Um, It's really complicated. Uh, There are a lot of different forces that came into me finding a place within, uh, specifically within poetry. Um, I, from a, a, a very young age, I was always interested in stories. Um, and I, I think about this a lot of the time in terms of uh, being trans and um, having a, a childhood that was very defined by disassociation and, and a, a desire to find escape from, uh, you know, really a, a, an existence that I, I did not want to be a part of. Um, and, and this is something that has always been with me. I, I, I think that I consider myself a writer because I, I have to write. Um, it, it's something that that ends up being compulsive to me. I, I have to sit down. I have to sort of make sense of things in a way. Uh, and, and it's been with me in, in so many different forms over the course of my life. Uh, you know, it started out as uh, a very, very deep interest in in, in poetry um, and in literature. I come from a family of, of voracious readers. We, we all are. Um, and I think that uh, it was always just sort of what I was best at and, and what I was encouraged to do and uh, what I, I found the most personal um benefit to is is uh engaging in writing as a serious pursuit um you know something that i i I took very seriously uh and my my history is very scattered um i i had a a really promising start um where i i had a chance to uh during my undergraduate work with you know a, a fairly famous poet um where i learned an incredible amount was given incredible opportunities um and then uh, mostly it was because of my dysphoria and a few other things that I, I sort of struggle with. I mean, it all just sort of went away in my early 20s. I never ended up doing an MFA or continuing my education. And I, I actually quit writing uh, entirely for about a, a decade in there. Um, and I, I came back after I started my transition. Uh, and, and the result of it was was at first and then it was this, this you know, once again, it comes down to this this need and this compulsion to to sit down and and sort of work out what's going on through language and and through communication. Um, and it's always just been a huge part of me. 
I'm so glad to hear you mention that um, you circled back to writing again and that the result was this collection. Um, I think it's really important as writers that we kind of share that writing is not this linear path and that there's not one writer's life and there's not one journey to the page. So I really appreciate you saying that. And that kind of brings me to my second question. One of the things that I most enjoyed about the book was there's this lovely braiding of tension and liberation and freedom. And I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about how you went about compiling the collection and balancing the poems that were included. I, I think that this was a an easy book to put together for me in a lot of ways, uh, because everything in At First and Then is... I like to call it a capsule book because it the whole thing was written, every piece in there was written over the, the course of eight or so months. And, and if I'm being, the, the majority of those pieces were composed within, you know, this like four month period. It was, it was incredible. I was writing wildly all the time, um, pages and pages and pages, uh, which is, is something that I've, I've heard from, you know, other, other individuals who have, struggles with identity and, and, and uh, similar sort of phenomenon that, that we oftentimes sort of figure things out and then, then have to sit down and, and, you know, just write, 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 write it out. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I think even, even sort of stepping back a, a little bit, I think that there's a very large benefit to, to sort of not writing, to letting that uh, lay fallow for a little bit. Um, you know, it's something that I try to do myself uh, every once in a while. Um, but back to the to the question of of sort of putting together the book um, because this is a capsule because it it is very attached to time um, and, and sort of what was going on in my life at that time um, at, at that point um, I would just sort of put everything together in a, in a chronological order um, it it tells a very real story that I experienced myself it's it's not particularly fictional in any way um, and. So I just sort of went through and tried to figure out, okay, well, you know, what comes first and what comes next? And, and you know, there you have the title of the book right there. It's At First and Then. Everything is very temporal. Um, and it's actually, it, I mean, it came out wonderfully narrative in the end in, in how these sort of disparate pieces all end up telling a story, uh, which is, is something that I'm incredibly happy about. But it, I mean, it's an accident. <laughs> And I, I, I like the way the poems themselves kind of like intermix and weave into each other in, in a way that's not, it's not um, a, a story that takes you out of it. It's very immersive. And so one of the things I kind of honed in on was this idea. And in the very first opening poem, there's this line, because especially in death, a woman's body is not her own. And it struck me very early on that I was settling into a book that in some ways aimed to give that body and all that it contains back to women and back to self. And it seemed that for the rest of that collection, the poems blossomed into the study of the feminine as multifaceted and as a state of being. And I wanted to know, was one of the intentions of this collection a way of speaking to those experiences of femininity and then reframing those expectations and experiences via your own lens? I mean, I, I sort of hesitate to say that I have any kind of particular um, intent with anything that I do. Um, a, a huge part of my my process is that I have ADHD, um, and it, it's currently very unmedicated and untreated. Um, 
and I I don't like working with intent because it's there's only so far that it can go. Um, you know, I, I really just sat down to to sort of tell a story and 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 put together what happened to me and and what readers do with it is uh, you know that's really the beauty of all literature is that I I don't have any control over that as soon as something is written and it goes out into the world, um, you know, different people are going to do different things with it. And I'm actually really happy about that. It makes me, um, I, I love seeing people who look at my books differently than others. Um, you know, I, I love hearing what people get out of it, uh, get out of a book or a poem individually. And, and it always means something different. And um, I try not to stress about sort of how things are going to be read or received, um, but, you know, mostly just because it's it's sort of a, a fool's game for me as a, as a person with ADHD to try to manage all of that. Um, you know, everything is very raw with this book um, and it's everything that happened is just a reflection of, uh, you know, my mindset at the time when I was writing a lot of this um, and when I was dealing with those particular issues and questions. Yeah. And so one of the blurbs on your book um, is from Torin A. Greathouse um, that remarks that the book is a transition narrative, but not in the ways it is expected to be. Um, did you find any shifts in yourself while writing the collection and compiling the pieces within it? And did you come away with any kind of new avenues of self or the world that opened to you because of this collection you've put together? Oh, my, yes. Um, I during the the course of um sort of what is presented in at first and then i changed a lot a lot um it was during my first full year of transition and i was still settling into myself my body my new place in society and and all sorts of um all sorts of really complicated social and interpersonal issues that were all sort of thrown all at once um and it, it's sort of hard for me to, there's so much going on in the book um, and, and that was going on with me. And, and my life is actually much simpler now. Um, it, it's not just sort of my transition. I, you know, drank, uh, I was an alcoholic for many, many, many years. I mean, the first time I ended up in the hospital for alcohol-related issues, I was 13 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, the first step with all of this was, um, the first step with all of this was that I quit drinking, um, you know, probably about six months before I started my transition. Um, and, and so there's that sort of there's this line of becoming sober. There's this line of, you know, the gender transition that's going on. Um, there are these uh, elements of, of sort of, you know, external grief, familial struggle um, that, that sort of peek their way through. Um, and one of the, you know, you, you bring up Torin and, and Torin is so incredibly astute when um, she comes to, to, things like this, but, um, you know, Torin actually, actually picked up that, um, my sexuality shifted. Um, as it, I think that might be one of the, the least apparent things in the, in, in the book, if you just sort of read it straight through. Um, but it's turned out to be one of the more, uh, lasting effects of that sort of point in my time, uh, point in my time in, uh, you know, the point in my life. Um, and, 
I, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, in, in, in preparation for talking about this, because I was certain that it would, it would end up um, coming up. Um, and I, I'm still a little, I don't know exactly what to say. It, it, it's this really, the, the biggest part of all of this was coming to, it's a different sort of endpoint than a lot of uh, trans narratives that we, that we read, um, where I, I've identified as a, as a, as a queer person for my entire life. I, you know, when I was a boy, I, I knew that I was attracted to men. Um, you know, I thought that I was also attracted to, to women. Um, and it turns out that, that sort of once my, my gender confusion and, and issues were, were more or less worked out that, um, you know, I'm for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm a heterosexual, which is really weird. And, um, it sort of feels like a bigger coming out in a lot of ways for, for me and myself than, um, you know, really anything else that ended up happening. You know, my gender transition ended up being really easy um, at the, at the end of the day. Um, and it's sort of all of these other things that, that sort of linger and it. it's especially the sexuality question has been something that, uh, you know, I, I'm still to this day. I mean, I think my work right now is, is a lot of it is, uh, really trying to find answers to, to that particular question. I think that um, for me, at least reading the collection, I felt like there was within the shifts within you in the, in the book, that there was this lovely immersion into self-reflection and self-discovery. Um, but I think that why I connected with it a lot was because I found that these reflections and discoveries weren't shied away from that it was like a hard look at the inner self and it offered both kindness and challenges um, to the speaker. And so I wanted to know if you could kind of approach how um, you, you use self-dissection and kind of the breaking down of self and then the rebuilding of self um, without being too cruel or too self-indulgent and how you balance those kind of probings of self. Yeah. I mean, I'm, well, I've been, um, I, I've been told that my, my work as a, as a sort of, um, the word that's often used, and I, I think it's the incorrect word, is is objectivity to it. Um, it it's not totally objective, but there there's um, you know I, I really do believe in putting space between the self and uh, the the phenomenon that, that really shape us as as people. Um, and I I try not to to dip to either side to too much, um, you know, dip too far to, to either side of that, uh, that, that seesaw. Um, and it's, it's a tough thing to do. I'm, I'm struggling to sort of talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't, it sort of comes back to my relationship with the, with the reader. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that I have ownership or control over these poems once they're sort of done and out there in the world. So that there has to be space in there for people to take them and to do whatever it is that they're going to do with them. And I think that I'm always aware of that. And I always try to um, be more descriptive than prescriptive. Do you find, um, or had, did you have any thoughts after completing this collection that you would um, kind of move some of these thoughts and these kind of self-reflection reflections into like a memoir based piece, or would it always be poetry for you? 
I, I, I work with poetry because it poetry works for me. Um, I, I have a lot of trouble with, with long form. Um, it, it's sort of one of these things that comes down to being, you know, having ADHD again. Um, I, I sort of get to a, a point with long form where I just, I, I lose myself. I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I like working with poetry because I can, I can sit down, I can put something together. I can have um, an entire thing in, you know, a, a very short amount of time. And so it's, it's a sort of check on myself. Um, you know, I, I've written essays and done some amount of, uh, you know, sort of longer form work, but um, I, I always find that I work best in situations where I am, uh, really allowed to just, um, get in and out really quickly. I, um, consider Kerouac to be a, a huge sort of formal, it's a, it's a weird word to use with Kerouac, but, um, influence on me. And, um, I engage in automatic writing. It's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, it, it's not, I don't think that the, uh, sort of Kerouac model, you know, the, the sort of Secrecy model um, is of a lot of use, but um, you know, I I sort of bristle against a lot of the um, sort of craft that exists out there because you know things like revision and and you know all of these different steps. It just it just doesn't work for me. I need to get in. I need to do it. I need to get out. And so you know the two forms of writing that um, you know I don't inherently screw up really easily um, you know it comes down to, to poetry and uh, you know microfiction. Um, I wanted to ask you about a specific poem in the collection which is gender swap poem um, and there's a line in it that really gave me pause and, and kind of became like an echoing phrase like in my interpretation of the book um, the line reduce and reduce and reduce until you cannot believe you can become any smaller and still be able to speak and I found that there was like ideas of erasure, both internal and external. And that it also gives like the sense of hope in the crafting of spirit and identity. And I was very interested in um, knowing how you approach creating this piece and how you decided on its final form. Oh, I, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I oftentimes don't have a great uh, memory of when I compose pieces. Like I said, it, it's sort of automatic. And um, I, I don't think I could tell you anything about the actual composition because it's, it's there's very little intentionality in here. I have amazing poems that I love. And like, I, I look back at it and I'm just like, when did I write that? <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, it's, I, I'm really scatterbrained um, and I lean into it as a poet. Um, I, the, the, the recipe form is something that I, I'm really drawn towards. Um, I just think it's really neat and I, I really enjoy cooking and uh, it's something that's just sort of familiar to me. And I, I think that in terms of uh, trans poems, that these these found forms are oftentimes very powerful uh, because it, it, it speaks a lot to the nature of transness as, um, you know, being transformative, of course, um, of things that exist. Um, and I, I, I like the idea of sort of taking, you know, a recipe and, um, going through my experience of transition, which was a recipe. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you put hormones in, you, you stop some others and, you know, out comes something new. Um, and it, it just sort of seemed, uh, I really like that piece too. Um, and it seems to, distill, um, if I can use this word in that, in, um, this context, um, 
it, it really just distills everything down to, all right, you know, there, there are steps here. You know, I did a whole bunch of stuff and now I move on to the next step. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think transition for many people is, is sort of a recipe. It's, you know, you're cooking up something new. And in terms of the, the the reduction, I mean, it's it's just the that's the the general metaphor for you know womanhood for encountering womanhood you know for real in this in this kind of way is is this process of just being reduced and reduced and having one's voice become smaller and smaller. And do you find that like when you came back to the page and you created this collection that you felt that that reduction had in some ways reversed or was it still something that you were kind of finding your way through? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you reduce the sauce down, you reduce it, you reduce it and then you, you throw it on something else and it becomes a a delicious meal. And, um, I like this metaphor. I made a a whole bunch of, uh, red sauce yesterday and it's, it's apt, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one, one, block that you build, um, you know, that goes in the, in, in the larger building. And so I have, um, one final question for you. Um, probably one of my, um, favorite things about the book and, and like, I, I like that you've said that you put the poems into the world and how we as readers interpret it, I think is very much an insular thing. And for me, I've found out that you not only have this way of creating tension, um, in your poetry in a way that's couched in this very beautiful language and imagery, imagery um, but you also leave the possibility of change and progression. And there's a line um, that reads, remember how seeds are little moments of the possible. And the poem, this is a trans poem about swans, you write, I want to become a myth that travels under and then above again, but emerges different. So as we kind of wrap up, I just wanted to know, what do you want to leave readers with um, when they come to the end of the book? Um, Are there any thoughts you kind of want to implant seeds in their minds with, things that you want them to think about? The closing poem of the book is, is, um, I feel like it sort of pulls everything together. It's... um, it ends with the the concept of repeated joy. Um, and I think that if, if anything, that's what I want to leave a reader with, that uh, transformation and identity and personhood are, are very difficult things. Um, we all struggle with them in various ways, and, and certainly some of us much more than others. And the end result of doing that work is... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's finding joy. And that, that's what's important to me as an individual right now is, is to find joy in life, to uh, be able to enjoy something that I, I, I didn't for a very long time. Um, and that these, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's one of the more um, sort of straightforward things that I can talk about with the book is, is, um, you know, that this this process of finding happiness, because that's what matters in the end. You know, I very much didn't want to go through all of this and still be an angry, upset person. I, I, I wanted to enjoy my life. And, you know, transition is the only thing that really allowed me to, to do that. Um, and, it's so very personal and, and, you know, my experience is incredibly different from other people's experiences. And, you know, I, I 
can say that for for certain. Um, you know, there are so many different ways to do it, as many people that are existing in the world. Um, and you, you just need to worry about, you know, finding your joy and, and putting yourself in a place where you are allowing yourself to think about living your best life and to, to think about being in a place where you can create things and make a mark and, and you know, engage with, with society and other, other individuals. Thank you so much. Um, I wish you great success with your current book and your upcoming collection, The History of Mountains. Um, can our listeners find you on social media or the we- our website anywhere? Um, I I probably use Twitter the most. It's uh, it's Danny Rose Poet. Right. It's my handle. Um, and then I have a, a website that I haven't updated in a while and I really should. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your answers and for your honesty and candor today. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I'm Athena Dixon, a co-host of the New Books and Poetry podcast via the New Books Network. <laughs>